Welcome to episode 71 of the Men of Magic. I'm joined by Zeb Moshowitz this week as he talks all about the changes that have happened with Wizards. And it's his open letter. I've listened to this three times already, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. I am with the man simply known as Zeev. Hello. Hello. Well, let's get down to it right away. The changes that have happened to magic. Why don't we just start with your thoughts on it right away? Yeah. So I was one of the people who wrote the open letter that appeared in Channel Fireball regarding the Planeswalker points. And one of my best friends, Seth, read it and he said, you pulled your punches. And he was absolutely right. I pulled my punches. I was trying to be nice. I was trying to say, okay, uh, let's point out what the obvious consequences of this are for the players and that clearly we weren't prepared and this wasn't very well thought out. It doesn't create very good incentives and it doesn't do a good job of letting top players participate and still have a life. It basically forces people to choose in or out. And in is just a grind. It's such an awful grind to me. I would never have chosen it. And I love this game. I really love this game. And also just, you know, the more you think about the problems with the EVO system, the more they were easy to fix. Uh, you know, the, the, the problem of, oh, people go below 1600 and they hate their life. Set a floor of everybody for 1600. Literally just do it. Right? I, it took me a few minutes to brainstorm the solution. And then you have a problem where people were afraid to sit on their ratings. Give them the high peak of the of the season, and their rating is what counts, or something like that. It's, it's not that hard. There are any number of solutions to the problems. The, the 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 reason people don't play is mostly because the system doesn't have the right win expectations, and therefore people, when they're playing locally, bleed rating points if they've done well on the pro tour and have a good rating. That's easy to fix. It's trivial to fix. We just don't bother fixing it, and now we're stuck. And now we're back with a cumulative system, which is just terrible. And I was looking for a way to forgive them. I understand what they're trying to do. I understand it incentivizes play. I understand it's a feel-good system. Doesn't that feel bad moments? I, I, I get all of that. And I was looking for a way to think past it and to think past the, the problem of, okay, we're not going to be invited from the previous Pro Tour. We're not going to have a system of uh, pro, pro player points that anybody knows what it is. You know, we, we're hoping there's going to be something. They say we're hoping it's going to be adequate. We don't know. Um but now they're, they're they're basically hoping people will just you know start going to Grand Prix and and that on on faith that they'll be rewarded, which is ridiculous. And and now on top of that, they're canceling worlds. They're substituting a new invitational that's going to give back you know a some decent percentage of the money, but basically it's four people who've already won an event, last year's world champion, quote unquote, and three Pro Tour champions. And then, if I remember the requirements correctly, just 12 grinders. It's just who's going to go to more Grand Prix. So now, we have this perverse auction at the top because he's going to go to Worlds. And they get some goodies. But it's not the World Championships. Nationals are now nothing. Regionals are nothing. You know, you'll never be able to go defend your, defend your country's honor. You'll never be able to carry the flag. You'll never get to be excited and root for your people. You know, we won't have the... You know, we won't have the, the Chinese champions on the wall again, ever. And and it, it's the best experience in Magic. You get this group of people from all around the world. There's this great camaraderie. There's team events. There's there's tons of stuff going on. You play three formats. It's over several days. And you have a title worth fighting for. 
I wanted the world championship more than anything. And, and now I'll never have it. And, and not only that, and, and it just, this is something people aspire to. And I don't think they have any idea how much they took the wind out of everybody's sails by destroying world championships. They also, it was pointed out today, explicitly broke a promise they made with the Planeswalker points announcement by destroying worlds. They specifically said that anybody in the pro player club would have their status honored for the world championships. This implies a promise there will be a world championships. And what, like I'm, two months later, they're canceling the, the, the event, the next case example of the event. That's ridiculous. They're, you know, we, we tolerated, we, we, we worked with them the whole way. We almost had a rule similar to thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow Republican, where we just said, you know what, it's wizards, we'll criticize their card choices, you know, their development numbers, you know, their, 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 their quirky strategy choices, of course, but we, we trust that they're on our side and that they're all in good faith, and, and that, I feel like they destroyed that. And all this time, they, you know, they were constantly taking away, taking away, because Magic had hard times, we overcommitted to things, and now Magic has good times, and they take away the World Championships. I mean, Planeswalker points, you can understand they had different motives, but this is just screwing with us. This is just taking away what we value. And, and nobody was warned, nobody under, understood, it, it, it's, I know multiple, a lot of pro players, like I talked to Bob Meyer, is going to World Championships. Because it's the last one, he'll never have another chance. Uh, Kai Bude considered going, he just, it's a terrible flight, and it's the middle of the wrong time of the year for him, and so on. And I'm torn between, I really want to go to the last World Championships, and I have a great team, and it's, it's an awkward time for me to go, and honestly, I just don't want any part of these people right now. Is in many ways, considering the amount of friends that you've made through the years in Magic, and a lot of them are going to be there, isn't this kind of a way for you to at least be there with them at the last hurrah? Yeah, there definitely is that. You know, I get to see Alan Comer again. I get to see Bob Marr, who no one's seen in years. You know, I'm finally on a team with Nasif and Chapin for the first time, you know, which I we thought was going to be awesome until the wind got knocked out of all of us one step at a time. And 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 it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful group of people. And, you know, we haven't broken it yet, but I know we will because this group was amazing. And, and I know, I know, I am torn. I am torn. And I, I, I know the standard response is we're going to go and have a party and celebrate the end and watch the world burn. And have one last shot of being the world champion. Being the world champion, right? Because whoever wins this year is basically the world champion for life. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, don't, don't kid yourself. These new ones don't count. So, I, and I understand that. And I still might end up going. Tickets to San Francisco are cheap. I'm in New York City. I can just get on a plane. But it's just it's it's just so disheartening. I feel like I'm rewarding bad behavior by showing up. You know? Um, it's, but, but like I said, you are so tied into this. Yes. For everybody. From all the people. From the people that you you know, you've helped by writing articles and things like the Twitter and all the other things that you do for them, it would it's it, well I didn't know this was happening before I was planning to go myself, but it, it now seems like if you don't go to this one, what are you going to get from the rest of them? Well, I mean, it's it's also the hardest event they will ever schedule. Um, we're about to pay off going forward. I can still go to the 
you know, the, the changes to the Pro Tour are tremendously good, other than this one, for the Hall of Fame. Because you basically toss out a lot of players, the Pro Tour shrinks with the same prize pool. And you also mean that these people who want to qualify have to go around grinding and randomly winning PTQs, or they can't play. You know, you don't suddenly have to face Grand Prix champions. You don't have to face the best players. You have to face the players who happen to show up. I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but pretty cute players who qualified through a qualifier, they don't do very well at the Pro Tour, right? They do yes. awful as a group, right? Because the ones who are good, they do well, and then they don't count in that category anymore, the next Pro Tour, right? We filter them out. But if we're talking about a giant group of PTQ players, it's going to be an easy, easy tournament. And, you know, there are advantages to that. They're preventing, they're preventing everybody from dropping because of Planeswalker points. Same time, they're allowing people not to drop, which is just kind of evil. But, you know, that's the way it goes. And I don't like that it's a private atmosphere, so I won't be able to interact with the people. You know, but that's that's also the way it goes. But, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that. I'm not going to stop playing Magic at all. I enjoy playing Magic. It's great to go over to somebody's apartment because New York doesn't have a store and draft the booster. I, I think it is right. It's wonderful. You know, and I, I'm a game theory guy. I love the cards being face up. Create so many interesting situations. I love it. It's so cool. Somehow I picture you actually would have a lot of fun doing a draft if every card was flipped face up. And just you were drafted that way. I think it's a little bit too much information to process in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Uh, like Rochester has to go slower because like that's as fast as people can do things. But Rochester is awesome. Uh, I understand that nobody plays it, and they had to cancel it. But, you know, canceling Team Rochester, right? Rochester normal, I understand not doing it, but canceling Team Rochester was kind of, you know, one of the early signs of, you know, we know which side we're on, and we understood, because literally nobody plays it if you don't force them to, because it just costs too much money. You know, you're playing one match, and you open three boosters, and, and people just can't afford that. And also, it's just ridiculously complicated. It, you... You don't understand what the hell is going on unless you invest time and effort in becoming a good player. But that was just by far and away the most skill-testing format Magic has ever had. It was so amazing. And part of that was that the cards are all face up on the table. And I love that. But no, if you had all the boosters, eight boosters light up on the table, like, how would you even do that physically, right? Like, in Magic Online, I guess you could have, like, five, eight little boxes, and, like, you, you see them rotate around. And, it, yeah, it would be really cool, though. I, I actually am somewhat annoyed at Magic Online for not showing us these cards. Like, because it's just, like, it's a completely different draft experience. You know, you... A lot of drafting green is knowing when you push the button on the first uh, flip card, even if you don't want it. Just to make sure everybody knows. <laughs> no, like, my last draft, uh, I opened, uh, like, a random lousy green flip card. And I had a pack was full of good pack was full of goodies, and I took a gargoyle. I took the gargoyle, the five casting cost indestructible gargoyle. Yeah. And I passed the booster, and then I hear the guy say, "I'm taking the outcast," and I'm like, "What? You're taking the outcast? Well, clearly he's he's first picked the green card. He's going heavy. He wants me to know. So I drafted white black. You know, that was what I was clearly supposed to do in that position. There was, you know, and I found out other I found out there the, the blue was cut off, and you know, it was that was the way it goes. So you know, the cool thing about that forcing from the rock, forcing from the left and from the right in the beginning, you know, it's so awesome. You know, that's what magic should be. And 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 yet, there was this perfect article that was uh, came out this that I saw this morning on Twitter. Just said, you know, magic, uh, magic officially now a game. 
not a competition, not a sport, a game. You know, we're just playing, we're just playing for fun now. You know, it doesn't mean we don't enjoy it. It's maybe the best game ever made. You know, and it, and it will be for a long time. You know, anyone says this is the end of magic is, is, is being, is just being silly. It's not the end of magic. It's the end of professional magic. You're a younger person, say you're in your teens and you're starting to play magic and you start looking up more information on it and you go to these different sites and see these articles and then all suddenly you go to wizard sites and watch a tournament or watch a Star City Open or uh, an event on Gigi's Live, you associate with the person. Yes. And if you're taking that all away when they're playing, who are they going to associate with? I mean, it's a tremendous asset, and I don't know who they're going to associate with because, you know, we're not going to have stars the way we used to. I mean, you're going to burn them out. Like, look at Jerry Thompson, right? Amazing for the game. Amazing player. Great guy. And he goes out all the time all to all these places. How long is it to keep this up, realistically speaking? He even said to me, he said, I'll never make the Hall of Fame. He said, because I just can't do that anymore. Right. And he got burnt out. Right. Of course, like, I didn't know that, but I, I, I don't, I don't have to know that, right? And he's on the team. I just know that there's, you know, he, he loves the game and he loves to play all the time. But I mean, the game's now made for people like, I mean, you can be a Melissa Del Toro, like, and just like, I think she's, she's literally flying around the world right now, going to all the Grand Prix and eating up Planeswalker points. And she will be on the Pro Tour, which is great. But you think she's going to be doing that for five years? Right? I don't care how good she is. You don't want to do that for five years. Certainly don't want to do it for ten. You're not gonna. Where, where are the next Chapins and Kibbers gonna come from? They're not gonna exist. Yeah, I. So many top players have come to me, and said either you know this is clearly the end, or you know what am I supposed to do now? Yeah, I'm not gonna name names because you know that's up to them. Yeah. But you know they say well clearly. Wizards isn't interested in us. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, especially considering the way it was messaged, like, how, okay, maybe this is just me having an ego, but like, how do you change the rating system for Magic the Gathering and not ask me first? Right? Like, not just say, here's what we're proposing to do. Do you have any comments on the way that we've structured this? Maybe we'd like to do this somewhat differently before we go and announce it. You know, maybe get your support. Maybe get you to, Maybe even in some weird world, write an article supporting it. Right? What would it take to get you on board? And we could have stopped so much of this bad messaging from happening if they just talked to a few pros. I mean, you've got Paulo on, stirring up a storm on Twitter going, what the hell should I do? Because it costs a $1,000 for him to go to a Grand Prix, and nobody will tell him whether or not he's going to be rewarded if he goes. He had talked about staying in New York with Juza for like the first three months of the year just so he could do all the Grand, Grand Prix. It makes perfect sense. I mean, basically, they're telling him he can't live in this country, right? But at the same time, somebody gets an invitation to Worlds from Latin America. So it's going to be him. <laughs> Actually, right now, the guy who was ranked number one in South America is an FNM player. He plays every FNM and has more points than Paulo does as of this time based on what they're Those aren't professional points, though, in Worlds is professional points. Okay. All right, okay. Okay, good. No, no, no. There's no way an FNM player can go to Worlds. That, that mistake won't happen. The fact that FNM championships were designed in such a way that, you know, literally, you know, the best, the best, only players at certain stores have any chance at all. It was completely missed. I mean, look at the basic game theory of it, right? The top 100 go. 
Now, first of all, obviously now you have to play every Friday night, and you can't ever go out on a date. It's dead, <laughs> right? But even disregarding that, like, so like King's Games now has their FNM starts at three, right? Because they want to have two complete tournaments so that people can get enough points to compete in the championships, which is awesome for King's Games and awesome for the people who are at King's Games. But what do you do if you have one tournament at your local store, not two? You're drawing dead. Literal dead. You can win every match the entire season, go to every round. You're drawing dead. If you are one Planeswalker point of participation smaller or one round less than the next guy, you are basically drawing dead because there's only 100 people going. So you will not go. Simple as that. Only the handful of stores that max out the abilities will show you all of the players. All. Right? There might be a few players who are pros and win every single match, but do you want those people at these local FNMs anyway? Like, do you really want me to show up to all the Friday Night Magics and just crush everybody and take, be, take it all seriously? No. You either want me to not show up, or you want me to show up with casual decks and drafting goofy shit. Right? Ironically, mm-hmm. Chapin was talking about wanting a... FNM here in Milwaukee to go to because he was looking at needing the points. Right. Like, the fact that Chapin is actively worried he might need the points to maintain his qualification status, you know why? Because he has visa problems, right? He's yep. talked about this. He can't go to Japan. So that that round, right, with no continuous system, he's starting 16 rounds behind everybody who went to the last Pro Tour. He can't go to those Grand Prix either. He's in a hole. And, you know, does he really want to go to all of the Grand Prix? He'd much rather... He needs an FNM. Desperately. The three times multiplier is pretty good. Yep. And, like, he's telling people to grind, and it's a zero-sum game. The number of points required on Planeswalker points will shoot way up for the second season. The first season will be way higher than it would have been in the zero season where they were simulating it, because people will game the system. But that will be nothing compared to the second season. Because once people know what it takes, they will go after it. Ironically, if it goes down, if it doesn't shoot way up, it means that Magic is in really serious trouble. So what it means is there weren't enough people who cared to grab the slot that was on the table, right? Mm-hmm. If if it doesn't cost 2,700 or more points by the second season, preferably 3,000, it means people don't care. People are not will- basically people are no longer willing to go on Grand Prix tours. You can't find a hundred people willing to go on Grand Prix tours in exchange for a Pro Tour slot. What does that say about the game? You're killing it. Yes, but you're killing high level competition. You're not killing the game itself, but you're killing the high level competition. The game is no longer going to have that culture, and I can tell you right now, you know there there are plenty of there, I'm sure there are plenty of stores that survive on casual people, not the ones I've been to. I I lived in Denver for a year, and I went to this stinky little store, right? It was my secret store back then. Like, I used them to qualify in rating by, you know, play, by having them organize a bunch of tournaments so I could beat up on a bunch of people who had no chance, <laughs> right? It was wonderful. Yeah. But, like, these were great guys, and I made friends with them. And what, what did we do? We, we took it, ser- you know, they took it seriously. They were kind of my, you know, they weren't my team, but they were kind of, were my local team. You know, I helped out the store. I helped trying to build it up. And we... We went to qualifiers and Grand Prix trials and we tried, you know, these people tried to get on the tour. You know? But, but, but these people would never get on the tour now. Why? They have a 12 person FNM. 
right? Yeah. How are they going to get any points? They're starting they're starting 700 points behind. Right? These people would have to have no jobs. They have to fly out every Friday. At best, they're flying out every Friday to some weird locale. Right? Because they can't afford to stay in Denver for even one weekend that doesn't, except for the PTQ weekend. Maybe. Right? And, and you also have to choose, right? You have to choose whether or not you're going to try and win the auction for a project or point slot or try to qualify through qualifiers because qualifiers give you so few points comparatively. But Grand Prix, you can't qualify. You know, the fact that Rich Holland goes to Toronto, wins the Grand Prix, and then flies back to where he lives in Curacao. <laughs> or even stays home. Has no chance. No chance. Winning a Grand Prix doesn't do diddly. Then what is the incentive to go to the Grand Prix? None if they're not, lo- if you're not local, there isn't one. Realistically speaking, unless you're in the auction. Unless you said, I want to go to this Pro Tour. I want to go to Worlds. So bad that world is your appearance fee, right? World is your 6,000 EV appearance fee for the entire year. But that's not that good. That's not going to do it for that many people, especially if you don't know if you're going to get it or if you don't know you would have gotten it anyway. It, it's maddening. And and so I, I just think the only the hope we have is that people realize that there is great demand for high-level competition in Magic. And for now, there still will be. So, like, you look at the Star City Opens, right? And these are tremendously successful tournaments. They draw tons of people, you know, and people fly. People, the people for a while were flying in, and obviously they they were they were they were hemorrhaging money in some way because they cut back. But at the same time, you know, there wasn't that much money, and they still got the people because you know they they did the right thing, right? They they said we're going to reward you for making a commitment. We're going to show you how much we care. And I think there's definitely room, if the Pro Tour itself doesn't count anymore, for someone on the outside to step up if Wizards gives them their support, their genuine support. And hopefully someone will step up. Like, for example, just one one of my friends mentioned to me where I'm planning to start potentially get involved in some businesses. And one thing was, you know, the way that Westinghouse used, you know, and now Intel sponsors a science contest, right, to recruit all these great new people. Yep. Well, there's a reason why the company I work for hires tons of magic players, tons of magic pros. These people can think. These people can compete. These people are driven. They're, you know, they're self-starters. They care deeply about making good decisions. And they're wicked smart. And they can analyze on the fly. Yes. The, the University of Wizards of the Coast. You want to hire these people. Yes. And so, you know, if you had the, you know, if a hedge fund were, say, to sponsor the Pro Tour, that would be a great investment for them. Right? Or even any, you know, our company would do it if it wasn't for the obvious morals issues. Yeah. Right? We can't do it. But if we could, we I would definitely try. It'd be a great idea. And, you know, there are plenty of other people who will want to do this kind of thing for that kind of reason. And plus the Pro Tour is potentially even profitable. Um, and you think about it, like, I've always I've always wondered why, you know, when people go to a tournament, they'll often drive, you know, people will drive five hours to go to a PTQ, sometimes even stay overnight just to go to a PTQ in a hotel. And then they pay $30 to get in. Like, I went to the World Board Gaming Championships. 
this past year. And that was the most wonderful experience because, yes, the prize is a piece of wood. There's no money whatsoever, but they get it, right? We get that we're here because we want to compete, we want to have fun, and we want to try and see who's the best. And you have these early rounds that are casual and these later rounds when you get in that are the most deadly cutthroat thing you've ever seen. And it's awesome. It's ridiculously awesome. But isn't that what you get at the Pro Tour at before everybody had to keep playing? That that last day that it was everybody was playing for blood. Right. So like I was, you know, I had played through the ages before, right? And uh, I was pretty casual, but you know, I took it somewhat seriously. And I show up at the event, and you know, the first round is like, oh yeah, sure, it's a local game, it's kind of fun, and then I win. Second round, I get a two-player game by accident, and I run my guy over. And then I play the semifinal, and it's like, oh, so this is what Through the Ages looks like. And it's the final, and it's like, no, this is what Through the Ages looks like. And who's on my left? Randy Bueller. Wow. Right? Who are the other two players? The previous, um, the other previous world champion, and the guy who runs the online leagues. These are the four people in the final, playing each other. That's how skill-testing a game can be. And, like, they didn't need money to get us out there. They needed a title, the world champion, the very title they're taking away. It means something to people to do it. Uh, from the people I've interviewed, it's it almost seems you hear people talk about that one last piece they're looking for, just like you said. Right. It's I like, wanted player of the year. I wanted world champion, but I wanted world champion like ten times more. Yeah, I was in the race for player of the year, and it was like, I'd love to have this, but it wasn't that big a deal the one year I was close. But if you look at, you know, I mean, you just review what you've done over your career and looking at what you've won in. Yeah. Nationals team, block constructed, extended, team limited. I mean, every time Wizards made changes, a lot of people have started yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, okay? Unlike normal skies is falling situations, I mean, there's a lot of genuine real over-concern about this. Like, to the point of, you know, they're making Facebook postings on it. They're they're trying to come up with ways to get their attention to make them do something about it. But you almost wonder in many ways if this is out of their hands and this is a Hasbro decision, not a Wizards decision. Could that be the problem? I mean, the way it was announced just feel, felt like someone who just did not understand the psychology of players at all. Like, the people who were doing this, like, just, they could not possibly, how could they have failed to understand what the world championships mean? How could they have failed to understand the symbolism of what they were doing, just to save a little money? It doesn't feel like them. But, I mean, even if it, whether it is or it isn't, you know, there's no going back. I mean, it's not the sky is falling, the sky is on the, the sky is on the ground, shattered in bits, and we're trying to step on it. Like, it, it's, it's over. Right? It, it just, this is not hyperbole. The, the sky is gone. It's, it's, you know, we're not talking about what will happen, we're talking about what already has happened. And, yeah, the Pro Tour will probably be around for at least a few years. In some form. But, it doesn't mean what it meant. What happens when the Pro Tour comes and you don't see all the names you're used to seeing and you see half the field being this unknown quantity of people. I mean, it's okay to have your sprinkle of new people that come into the Pro Tour every year, 
but not half the Pro Tour should be gone. I can't see where this is going to benefit them at all. Now, I understand that they're they're worried about selling product and it's product, 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 and you know so on and so forth. But you can only do so much with product. If they said, what was it? The average person spends like if they're interested in Magic, maybe a hundred dollars in it over their casual player thing. Okay, well, how many millions of casual players do you need to make up for that hundred dollars, or where you have the devoted people that go out and buy legacy cards at ridiculous prices and do all this stuff, go to these tournaments, you're not you're not giving them incentive to do it. But more than that, right? When I'm a casual player, I see these people spending this money on legacy cards, right? I see these tournament players who are, you know, crashing the party and spending $30 on a Snapcaster Mage. And I think to myself, when I open this booster pack, I could open enough to buy 10 booster packs in one card. Easily, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's annoying for some tournament players, but it's great for the casual player, because he doesn't really care if he has a Jace that much, right? He can live without it. He'd rather have a booster box. <laughs> exactly. Give me <laughs> a now, thousand right, cards over one. Yeah. If the casual players go up, if there are lots and lots of casual players, that increases the supply of these cards. And... If there isn't a large demand for competitive play with real prizes, the demand for constructed cards goes down. The value of the, the value of open packs goes down. I mean, and then the casual players think, well, you know, I won't be able to maybe, you know, I have these random cards in my deck because I felt like it. Now these wastelands are going for sixty bucks, right? Yeah. That hope, that hope is a lot of magic's appeal. You know that idea that you know. I'm not actually spending this money. I'm investing it, potentially. My kid does that uh, every time my wife will buy a pack on occasion just to let him open it. And he sits there and opens it up, and he'll run over and say, Oh, it's it's this. What is it worth, Daddy? And it, it's like the look on his face is when you tell him, Oh, yeah, by the way, that's that's a primeval titan. That thing's worth 20 bucks." And just to see the excitement. Wow, really? And... Yeah, you're taking that away. Because if no one knew what Primeval Titan did, you'd open it up and say, oh, it's a rare. Okay, there it goes down. Right, I mean, it, it's... We're, we're, I mean, Primeval Titan will still be worth something because of the little kid factor, right? Yeah. Like, it's the giant monster, but... Yes, the um, a lot of cards won't be worth... Like, there'll be dramatic decline in the value of packs. Like, obvious decline. And I've mentioned this before. Will this not fundamentally destroy places like Channel Fireball, like Star City Games, and all those other places that sell cards? Because that's where they make their money. It might. I mean, it's not clear that they need a lot of expensive cards to survive. It's possible. Look, it's possible that they can sell booster boxes, they can sell, you know, less expensive cards in higher quantities. I don't know. Um, but it's going to be tough. Look, I don't know how you run a gaming store in this new world, comparatively, in a lot of ways. Like, especially, like, I was thinking about New York City, right? And I was like, just this past week, I would love to reopen Neutral Ground, because then we'd have a place where all the people I want to meet with can go and gather. Like, even for stuff outside of Magic, because then I'll have this place that I own. And then it'll be great to get back to the community. But I can't. There is no community. The people who in New York City would show up, their motivation just took a huge shot. They're not going to want to come. 
It's really that simple. So all they're going to want to do is show up for the pre-release and releases? Is that what the casual people well, is going to end up? Yeah. Do the pre-release in Manhattan. You had to show up at 9 a.m. Right, potentially, to make sure you got in. Sign up and then come back at, like, 3. There was a shortage of product. And you couldn't, like, you could barely, you know, they, they ran two drafts. So that was all they were allowed to. Like, we used to show up at the, at the, uh, the pre-release and just, like, go all day. Mm-hmm. They didn't let us do that anymore. It's kind of like the first time you get into a new car. And you just want to drive it and have fun with it and pick up your buddies and take them with you and go around and this is my new thing. It'd be like saying, okay, you can drive it out of the parking lot, but you have to park it. And God forbid if anybody else wants to get in with you and drive. So, you know, I mean, it's, I, I'm very, very perplexed by this. And the thing you brought up is that since they don't have an answer for this yet, you talk to the people. And you're hearing what they're already saying about this. I, I don't see how Wizards wins on this. Oh. I mean, there's got to be something in their grand scheme that says... There's no plan. There's obviously no plan. Look at the World Championships thing, right? Yeah. They announced two months previous to that, they specifically assured everybody that they'd be qualified for Worlds. That implies that two months from now, they, they believe there would be a Worlds. There can't possibly be a plan here. Do you think they'll announce something at Worlds? No. How do you think they'll do this, then? Is this something that they'll just, on their main site, like normal? They don't want to riot. I mean, I have a prediction market, actually. Um, I'm alpha testing a prediction market system. Uh, and on whether there'll be an announcement at Worlds, and the market price is like 10%. Hmm. It's really low. I was, I, I'm on, I'm on no. <laughs> Considering it's Worlds... How many big people from Wizards you think will show up at all because you know what's going to happen? There's going to be enough people that are going to go, why are you doing this? What's the problem? Yes. I mean, look, they're good men, right? They under, they, they believe in the product. I think that it's in San Francisco, Wizards is in Seattle, Renton, but, you know, close to Seattle. It's a really easy trip. So I think you'll see, like, a lot of the majors will show up. I think they will face. I think they will face their public. I, I sincerely expect and hope that they will face their public. And they're going to face down a lot of very angry people. You know? Also, they're going to want to see these people for the last time. Yeah. You know? They're not going to, you know, these people, you know, they want to see Bob again and say hi, you know? not going to see Bob again. They're never going to see him again. That is, again, I look at this because I've been playing Magic since the dawn of Magic, and to me it's always been the history of Magic that's always meant something to me. And it feels like in many ways you're just gutting it. They've not announced how you qualify for the Hall of Fame. I know. I mean, I presume that the Hall of Fame will presumably... You know, they'll decide some threshold of professional planeswalker points lifetime, and then they'll be, that'll be the new requirement for being eligible. I'm assuming. You look at the Pro Tour lifetime points, and you start rattling off the names that are on this list, and you go through it, and you go through it, and you stare at some of these numbers, and you realize that once this is done, once they get rid of it, they're all, all that historical stuff is gone. 
It will always be Kai and John. Yes. And and Gabrielle, you know, and and Bob and you know Nikolai and Mike Turian and all those guys. You know, they will always be the best because people won't have the opportunity to join that league anymore. You know, there won't be a new guy that joins those ranks. Yeah, I mean that's just the way it is. You talk to people and you hear them say, "I'd love to make this level. I'd love to be. I'd love to get this many pro tour points." I mean, I mean, someone like Raphael Levy, he wanted his his goal was to be the most points ever earned. Yeah, and they're basically saying, "Sorry, you can't do it." I mean, you give people these these point systems, right? And and people want them. People want points. Points are great. So people went after the points. And Raphael, you know, identified like most people do, you know, this is where I can shine. You know? I have endurance, I have longevity, you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I can I, I, I can be really good at this, and maybe I can be the best of all time. I mean and that you know, that, that indicates somewhat working the system, somewhat, you know, perseverance and, and optimizing for it. Because obviously, you know, no one's going to think that Rafael Levy should be at the top of the great players list, you know, over guys like, you know, Kai or John. Yeah, I think it's a two-person conversation, and probably always will be. Um, but you know, that's great that he can aim for that, and now he can aim for the most planeswalker points in the world if he wants to. I don't know how high he is; he's probably somewhere near the top. It doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't have the same feel to it. Because it's not accomplishment. When you earn, you earn those points. The sweat of your brow by winning and accomplishing. These new points you get by showing up, mostly. You know, playing is good. Winning is slightly better. The ratio of tournaments, if I have a 60% match win rate and you have a 50% match win rate that I have to go to before I outscore you is ridiculous. If you go to twice as many tournaments, you win the, you win this battle. It's not even close. I mean, why is this? Why do we have a system that's not good enough for Xbox Live Arcade? I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, they realized what will happen. The thirteen-year-olds who are on all day. Yes. They will rule the roost, and they are equivalent to Planeswalker points. So what do we do? We get Elo. What does Battle.net use? Elo. Every even semi-serious game uses Elo. The only people who don't use ELO are, are games that either can't be gamed or just work well enough and have a tradition. Yeah, you know, like tennis. Like tennis uses cumulative because, first of all, tennis gets it right anyway. I mean, think about it. In tennis, like, the right person just wins and they have, what they do is they have insane multipliers. You win a match at a grand slam, it's like the multipliers times a thousand. There's no competition. So, of course, the right players win. And, you know, the people who've run the previous Grand Slams are at the head of the list, which is great. But also note, the ATP has a championship at the end of the year. Sixteen people, right? Hmm. Not single elimination. They get together and they play. Elite group. But that's an individual championship. Yes. And you know what else you noticed? Nobody cares. Mm. How many tournaments are there? Four, right? Australian, British, Wimbledon, French, U.S. Mm-hmm. 
The World Championships is not a fifth competition. It does not count. Nobody thinks it matters. The number one is the number one who won the Grand Slams. They track how many Grand Slams did you win, the same way they track Pro Tour Top 8s. Yep. Nobody cares if you win the ATP Championship. You ask normal tennis fans, a lot of them don't even know. It's a joke. It's a flat-out joke. And, you know... Nobody, nobody takes, nobody uses the system and uses it remotely seriously in anything with this kind of, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I feel like, yeah, I've been, people like me have been devalued. That's my problem. Is people like you, and people like John, people like Kai, and people that have, over the years of magic that you've played, have earned it. I mean, you don't get 200 plus lifetime pro tour points by being lucky. Okay? That just doesn't happen. No, not primarily, no. I mean, you know, there's always, I mean, there's often those key times, right? There's that, that time when you got, you know, you got lucky in the finals of the PTQ, you know, or you got that good matchup and then you got to go to the show. And you had to go there for the first time. And we can all wonder that, but so what? Yeah, but yeah, if you're not good, it doesn't matter. Nobody gets to the top eight of a pro tour by accident. No. No, I've seen how they've been done and how they're run. And the hours that you guys have to put in for this, it's insane. Yes. Like, I, I mean, look, I haven't done that well since I came back, right? I mean, okay. I've done okay. I haven't done that well. Why? Because I have a life and a job and, a, you know, a girlfriend, and I don't have that much time to devote to Magic the same way. And you have to prepare for multiple formats. And the, there was one tournament that I prepared for legitimately properly, which was San Juan. That was it. I came to San Diego because I I happened to build this cool deck, Mythic. And I was like, yeah, I should really use this. But you know what my first draft of that, that format was? Round six. Oh, boy. Outright. I played like, you know, ten matches with Mythic against Cadenis. I knew it was a good deck. And, yeah, you meet that. And that was it. You know, and I had to just... Make the best of it. And I was already, I mean, I just, yeah, I had bad pairings and I didn't really know how to sideboard the deck properly because I hadn't tested that much and I lost. But if you're planning to come to Worlds, tentatively. Yeah. You're working with Nasif and Chapin. I mean, the three of you together should be able to brainstorm the living hell out of this and do something to crack it. We are the best team. I mean, we are the best team. And there's maybe, you know, I can see, like, LSV putting together a team that's, you know, on the same level, maybe. But, like, we're one of the elite teams. We're going to be amazing, and we're going to crack these formats. And whether I go whether I go to the house or not. If you crack the format and don't go, don't you feel like in many ways that your work is being not utilized correctly? Because if you've cracked it, and you're the one with the with the two of them to put it together and make it happen. You should be rewarded for it. I mean, I feel like my teammates winning does. Re- I mean, when Sigurd Eskelen won uh, Pro Tour New York with uh, Rising Waters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting in the stands with um, Tony Dobson, who built the uh, the Rebel deck that was being played by uh, by Warren Marsh, and. 
it was like sort of the two designers, right, were, were chatting with each other, talking about the matchup and how the people should sideboard and play it out. And, like, you know, it was really like our babies are in there playing against each other for the title. And and we didn't feel cheated, you know. I, I had my – I mean, I had my shot. I lost to, to, to Huey in the, the 15th round. Knocked me out. You know, he had something similar. But don't you want to be there at that 15th round instead of observing it or getting updates on it? I would love to be there, and I'd love to win. I'd love to, have, you know, but okay, I appreciate that you're trying to talk me into going. Yeah, and, and I am talking you into going because I, I, if this is the last stand, then I want everyone in there guns blazing and let's take this thing down and have it be the most competitive tournament ever. Because you look at it this way, the race for player of the year is tighter than tight. And it's not a small group. It's a large group. Like five or six people who are within a few points. It's yeah. crazy. You put that on top of the fact that, like you said, Bob Maher's coming. Kai is contemplating flying 40 hours combined round trip to come yes. to this. Make it the event and then just, you know, I mean, let's knock it out. Because if they want to take it away, then this is where... You guys show up and say, look, this is what it should be. I know. I know. Look, I I know. And there's something to be said, obviously, for, you know, going out with your best and showing them what you got. And I, I might go. I, I, I can see going. And One thing I have to tell you right away yeah. is I have a very – I guess you would want to say a soft spot for the players that I watched or I should think about, read about going on. And if they're taking you guys away, I would rather have you guys all stand out there and say, look, this is what we can do and let's take it. Nothing would make me happier than to see a basically a 2004 top eight or a 2000 top eight at Worlds just to have the excitement of, you know, you see someone like Kai or yourself. Give us that. I mean, it, it would be a great thank you to the people over the years that have watched and supported you guys. It'd almost like be a big thank you for everything. And that's where I come from on it. So, so. Okay. I appreciate the argument that, you know, you should do this for the, do it for the fans. You know, do it for the people. Don't do it for Wizards. You know, don't do it for them. And also, get your world championship. And yes, get the world championship. I mean, I, I get to use the title because of 99, but it's not the same as winning it by yourself. No, no, but I will tell you this. How hard was it to win that? I mean... Because you're relying on other people. It was my first Worlds, and, you know, I I was a little over my head in some ways. I finished 69th in the main event, and then I went on a 6-0 tear in the Team format. But yeah... And then I, it's, I had this, this the bargain deck, right? And I, I it, everybody was was prepared for it, which was crazy because, of course, I knew no one was going to play it. But nobody wanted to lose to it. So they were just ridiculously crazy prepared. And so I only went, I think, two and four. And then the finals was the best three out of five, and I took seven turns. <laughs> because the guy, you know, he was... Somehow the Germans didn't put the right guy in the three seat, and he was playing survival. That was it. <laughs> wow. 
those, but see, those are the things that don't happen today. Yeah, I mean, I was on TV. I'm on ESPN too. Yes. You know, and and I don't think they understand. They don't understand what that means. Like they they let that go, and I will never know why. I mean, I know it costs some money, but you know, that's that's something you can take home and treasure in a way that you can't take the other stuff home. You know, things like I was on ESPN too. I was the world champion. I was on the U.S. team. You know, it's just it's. Even winning a pro tour, you know, is barely better than that. And you, you think about it, a lot of the people that play now, when they win their first pro tour, it's like they've reached the first major goal of their career. Yeah. I won a pro tour. 300 of the best players in the world. And, and, a, and 100 other guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I brought this up yesterday and I, I did a, another yeah. show and I said, there's a guy who got the magic ticket to go and play. Yeah. I said, how over his head is he in this situation? And they're like, well, he's going to have the time of his life. He's going to have the time of his life. But if he plays against anybody, he's going to get demolished. And how much fun do you have if you're just getting constantly destroyed? Depends on the person. Some people actually can get a lot of, a lot of good out of that. And some people just are going to be miserable. Um, and also keep in mind, you know, he didn't, it wasn't like the next day go off and do this. Yeah. Right? But he's not so. working with you. He's not working with LSV. No, he's not. He's working with his buddies at the F&M store. I remember, so I got to my first, my first, uh, my first pro tour, my first, you know, not junior pro tour. It was the, uh, the second LA. It was Tempest Block, Tempest, Tempest Constructed. Mm-hmm. And I, as one of the, I, I was working basically on my own, mostly. And I built a, a red deck, and I played it against everybody who wanted to play a neutral round. Didn't you know? Didn't have a team. I, mean, I was on Legion, but we didn't really talk to each other much. And so, like literally, I couldn't lose. You know, I I, I was doing well against everything, and I vaguely thought, oh, other people will probably have found something like this. But I never played against another red deck, not once. You know, I didn't realize. I actually didn't realize. And, you know, I prepared for the fact that other people might play a red deck too, in theory, but I didn't actually play any games, because nobody, nobody ever put up against, put up a deck against me. I get to the tournament the night before, and the field is half red. <laughs> like, everybody knows red's the best deck. Everyone's playing red. And I have no idea. It turns out that I've actually built my deck the way I, have, it turns out I, I'm actually right about the mirror matchup, and I went all four mirror matchups. But, I just, I was so, like, where the hell did that come from? I had no idea. My first round, I did not know what hit me. I didn't know. I was beating people. I didn't know who they were. And then that last round was, like, out of a movie when I had to play Darwin. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he's, like, he's he's playing blue-black. Yeah. He's 7-0 against red decks. Yeah, he is. And I knew who he was, and I'm just sitting there in the feature match, like a deer in headlights, just <laughs> laying out my cards, and, like, I'm one of the few people in the in the tournament playing Goblin Bombardment, and he can't handle it. And uh, so I win. But it was just, wow. You know, it was such a thrilling experience. And then, like, oh, by the way, you're 12 and you got some money. But, I mean, it's, yeah, it was, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I'd been, I'd played in two junior pro tours. That was it. 
you did a five-year run, basically, or six-year run of major competitive tournaments, and you left to go work for R&D. Yeah, I, I think that, to be fair, uh, what happened was so I, it had been my lifelong dream to work for R&D, right? Okay. Like, not, not, I actually, like, told them this. I was working towards this. You know, I was trying to train for it. Them saying that I need to graduate from college in order to get to R&D got me through college. Like, if they hadn't told me that, I might have dropped out because I didn't want to be there. But I knew that if I wanted the job I wanted, I had to go to college. So like a lot of college kids, I stayed in to get the job. This was the job I was staying in for. And I kept thinking it would be around the corner. They kept not giving it to me. And unfortunately, so I, I, I left New York to take a job with Social Games, which was a startup who was working on the, the Cyberpunk tra- training card game. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was head of their RD department, and then I was their RD department when they got smaller because they didn't have any money. And then they folded. And basically, it was until I had a, I had a dry run and I was going to drop off or nearly drop off the Pro Tour. And I was kind of like ready to go on and do other things. And then, you know, at that moment I got offered the job. And that was a wonderful experience. I just, at the end of the day, I just, it sort of, I didn't have the fire that I'd had before. And I didn't, I wasn't the guy who's, you know, the way that Aaron and, 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 uh, Brian Schneider and Mike Turney and all those guys are. I wasn't like getting up in the morning and going, oh, let's go up and let's, you know, get to work and let's do all this, let's, let's play all these games and, and make all of this great. You know, I had lots of great moments and it was an amazing job and, you know, if I have to work in an office, I hope it's that one. <laughs> but, at the same time, you know, I just, my heart just wasn't in it the way it was before because I was burned out. And it was time spiral block. Um, and you know, at first it was, like, at first they showed me rather than a block and I thought it was awesome. And I started working on time spiral block and I couldn't put my finger on why I wasn't having fun with time spiral block. And looking back on it, it's because time spiral block, because it was about nostalgia, was basically bringing, was all bringing other stuff back. And basically, I was just like, you know, I, I'd been doing it for so long that I was just like, oh, God, not this again in my head, you know, with everything that they did. And, like, all the decks I would build were just decks I built before. Yeah, and, and all the strategies, like, I've seen this before. And and so, well, you know, I mean, I, I was a developer on a set uh, before I left, you know, Planet of Chaos, which was literally every card is a, is a card we've already seen, right? Just a different color. Mm-hmm. Which is really deeply cool conceptually speaking, and the art did cool things, and the different color frames did cool things, but also doesn't actually have any new ideas in it at the same time. So it cuts both ways. And I don't know. I I, I also got. I mean, there were some frustrating things. I was. I still. I'm very. Was very frustrated. I couldn't kill that nation. But now, who are they going to listen to? Me? Yeah. <laughs> I have questions. This you. You're known as a person who can break cards that aren't that weren't at the time supposed to be broken. Yeah, sometimes I break cards that everybody knew was broken. They just didn't know how. Uh, it's not always the it's not always the subtle ones. But, but yeah. what what is it that when you look at a card, what is it that just starts the engine going in your head to say, how can I make this work? What what would I be doing with it? What is like the first thought? Is it is it the ability of the card? Is it the combination of what the cost is to what you get from it? Or is it a series of events that happen? I, I'm curious because I, I want to see you, that. You, you want to find something that does something special. You want something that does something unique. 
right? That because if you just take another creature that does something very similar to all the other creatures or some normal card, you're never going to do anything that special with it. But so, for example, I actually described in my original article how I got Dream Halls together, right? Which is the first of the crazy decks. Yes. It was literally I'm a, you know, I'm sitting there bored in class, and I'm thinking about Dream Halls because you know. Anyone who doesn't get, see this card and see oh, you can play cards for free, right? So obviously, you know, it's on your radar screen. This might have something there. Just no one else found anything for a while. And so one of the things is if you're going to find something, you just have – you kind of have to say, okay, let's assume for the moment this card is broken. Why? You see you see how that works? Yeah. So, so, you say, so I say to myself, why is Dream Halls good, right? Because if it's not good, it doesn't really matter what I do with it. So why is Dream Halls good? And the answer shot back, it's good because the turn I play it, I win. I cast all these free spells and I win. So how do I do that? What I'm saying is, is that that's the kind of process, yeah. if you've noticed, well, you noticed, the yeah. fact that no one makes new decks. Approximately no one comes up with new ideas in any form of anything. Right. Yeah. Most people just copy things. Doesn't that kind of spit in the face of what really magic is, and that's being creative and using the ability of taking a product that constantly is evolving and changing and maximizing it. I mean, I've, I've, always, been a, I've always been of two minds about the Star City Games championships, the Opens, because on the one hand, they're amazing tournaments, and I love that they're there, and people can play in them, and there's always magic, and there's coverage at this high level, and I get to watch the games live and all this cool stuff. But at the other end... There is something about early on in, in these pro tours. Like you could show up to that pro tour, right? I could legitimately show up with what I still think was the best version of the best deck, and literally not know that that deck is forty percent of the field, right? Have never played against it in a mirror match in your testing. Like how crazy is that, right? Yeah. Like we showed up to the pro tour. I made top eight the first time in New Jersey with um, zero effect. And literally, the day before, it's like, oh, my God. All the red blue decks are running wildfire. Why didn't we know this? And we had to go back to the room and develop a new sideboard strategy that night because we didn't know. And we found out at the tournament. And that will basically, you know, it's ver- there is still some of that, but it's so much rare. Like, Naya showed up the night before, right? And Mythic shows up the day of. And, you know, some, some basic teams will have that. But now, like, you have a standard tournament. Well, the past ten weeks, you know, some of the best players in the world have been iterating. And they've been building new decks. And they've been squeaking everything out of this format. And so if you're not one of these top people, what chance do you have to build something unique? Legitimately, right, that that can compete on that level. It's really tough. You know, we, we shouldn't pretend that it's not. It's one of the things that makes magic so special. Right. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of us have navigated towards playing limited a lot, uh, those of us who are old-timers. Mm-hmm. Because we don't want to put in all of this background that we need to put in in order to get the right to be on the field at all, right? If you want to be constructed and be original, it takes so much work to get to that level when everybody else is iterating all the time. I mean, it used to be, a, you know, the qualifier seasons were the, were the first version of this, right? Where you'd, you'd have week one and then you'd have week two's evolution and week three's evolution and so on. 
But now imagine it, right? If he's if he's if he's open, it, it's it's just hyper hyperdrive. So I I love to build something new, but you know, limited. I get to construct something new out of these cards every time I play, and that has to be enough, right, for a lot of people. And I think that, that preserves it, right? And it gets you off the ground, mm-hmm. and you know, you get to see all these different strategies take a form, and you know, see new decks developed, and you know, those those first few drafts of limited where you're just like stabbing in the dark and trying stuff out, and yeah. My first draft of you know this, you know, I, I opened a pack. I didn't see anything particularly impressive, so I just took the shepherd. I said, you know, I'm at, I, I'm at with a group full of people who hate green. And I'm going to force it from everywhere. <laughs> and I ended up with, I think, 11 werewolves and three moon mists. <laughs> Playing red green. Something ridiculously insane. What goes on with you guys there? I mean, between BDM and Finkel and Martell and all you guys, do you, I mean, you still, the Finkel drafts still happen, right? Oh, sure. No, I was in one yesterday. And the Finkel drafts, like, literally Finkel posted an email saying, let's draft, him and one other person were in, at like 2 in the afternoon. Within 10 minutes, we had six people. We're like, sure, meet at your place at 6.30. That was it. And that's faster than normal, but it often happens like lightning. Because we have critical mass of people who want to draft, and we want to draft against each other. And we just love it, you know? We call it the fever. Draft fever. So, you know, we we go around and we, 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 we play against each other, and you know, three on three is is really an awesome format. You know, re- you know, just draft six people, random teams. I mean, isn't there a way of making that format visible for people to watch? That would make it interesting. That would that would get people to watch because the whole team thing was what when I first started watching was what really drawn me in. Yeah, the group process, the team concept, gave you guys a face to go by. There was a unified unit. Now, if you're not part of the, I like to say, the Gang of Twelve, it's like everybody's kind of all scattered all over the place. Yeah, it's become scattered, but, I mean, there was a downside to that, too. You know, people don't talk about it that much, but there was a lot of politics involved in how those teams formed and who was on what team and who were Rook or Foo. I mean, it only went public with me once. Uh, an article got written for the sideboard that was, you know, supposedly about someone having a great tournament and writing a report for it. But, you know, you could tell was basically, you know, him trying to get back at me for the fact that I had formed a team without him. Because I, you know, back then the, the issue of you can only have so many people and you want to make sure they're all valuable and they work together well and, you know, and... But everybody wanted on with the good people. So you had all these uh, these struggles. It was tough. That's why a lot of times you even talked about it, how difficult it is for you to put in the time to take to prepare for these tournaments. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I if I show up at Worlds, you know, I, I haven't done nothing. And I've contributed ideas and reactions and thoughts, and I've played, you know, a number of modern games and I've drafted. But, you know... My hat will have to be off to Chapin, Nasif, and, you know, these other guys, because they put in the work that I didn't, you know, and and that will be, I really owe them for that, you know. I mean, I can probably, yeah, I'll put in a lot last few days, I'm sure, if I go, and I'm there, but, you know, I, I won't be playing my own decks, almost yep. certainly, unless, you know, 
I haven't. Like the last tour, when, when I showed up in Philly, I I knew I couldn't stay, so I just like you know, I popped out my team when I could, and I took their deck and I played it. And I don't mind that, but it's not the same. Obviously, you want to play your own creation if you can. Considering the fact of how you innovate and create, having something that you didn't have enough of a hand in has got to be difficult. Yeah, yeah. I, I generally haven't done as well when I do that also, but probably because it obviously it indicates that I wasn't able to find anything myself and just had to go with whatever was flying around. But um, I think it was, it was a while before I actually took someone, a genuinely somebody else's deck and just took it. I think it was the Worlds in Australia, actually. And um, so I'm coming there. I don't. I know I have nothing, right? You, you know those tournaments where, like, you've done your testing, you've explored various things, and you know you're not happy. You could play one of five decks, but none of them are any good. Like, it's like, uh, what am I going to do? And then we get approached, and we're offered um, Burning Wish Legatalk, right, out of nowhere. Yeah. And, you know, I look at it, and we, look, and we think about it for a while. I'm like, oh, yes, this is it. And I just switch. Me and Justin Gary and a bunch of us on our team, we just switch the night before to a deck we've never played. And we actually go 4-1. I guess we go 4-1-1. Should have been 5-1 if I had realized that time was a problem. And um, I remember when Kai... Um, Realized how we got our deck and gave the person who gave it to us a little kick in the butt, you know. <laughs> not really, but you know, just like, what the hell are you that for? You know? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it was, it was Nick Wong, um, who gave it to us. So great thanks to him and we worked with him a bunch, uh, after that. We tried to get it, you know, day three we were also unhappy with, uh, Block Constructed and I played a deck that I knew was just coin flipping and I didn't get, I got one coin flip less than I needed and I didn't make it, but, um, you know, it was disappointing to have to do that. I wasn't happy. You know, I was like, there was a moment where I thought I was going to make it, and I was like, great, I'm going to have my world championship deck in gold borders, and it's not going to be my deck. <laughs> you know, if I make it. Like, it's going to be like semifinalists, Spimashowitz, playing, you know, Mr. Wong's Burning Wish deck. And it's like, so sad. <laughs> I'll take it. Don't get me wrong, I'll take it. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. You'll take yeah, it. But, but... I'll take it all day, but it's not what you want. Not really. That's why there's got to be such a draw. As much as reality is, for a lot of people, I, I, I've talked about that previously, where reality gets in the way of doing as much magic as you'd like to do. Yeah, reality got in the way this time in ways I can't talk about, obviously. But, yeah. you know, yeah, if this was a different time, it'd be easy. I understand completely. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Meta Magic. I'm able to be reached at my email at themetamagic at gmail.com where I accept your thoughts on the show, guest suggestions, or anything else you'd like to recommend. I'm also available on Twitter under The Meta Magic or my personal account, The Beamy. I hope you enjoyed the show, and again, thank you for listening.